All right, stopped. All right, it stopped. So uh, I got to do this real quick because the water company has been outside for the last few hours with a backup beeping thing on one of the trucks. They've been working on one of the lines in the neighborhood for a minute. So it's been loud. I got a window to do this where it's not noisy. All right, folks, check it out. The Groove is a record store in East Nashville. And we are looking to raise money to keep their doors open. So you can go to GoFundMe.com and search The Groove Nashville. Michael and Jesse were guests on my last episode. If you haven't checked it out, please do so. It was really great to hear their story and hear how The Groove came to be and what they're all about. My experience at The Groove has always been lovely and I want to support these guys as much as possible. So please go to GoFundMe.com and search The Groove Nashville and donate. Or if you're a vinyl nerd, you can go and purchase some vinyl at their website, TheGrooveNashville.com. So... Got a couple options there. Go check it out. Go check out the last episode. And hey, you can check out this episode too. It's going to be a good one. All right. How about we go ahead and get on that? Let's do it. podcast nerds coming in hot here on episode 15 of Clockwork Nights. I am your host, Clark Wayne. Welcome one. Welcome all. Wow. A lot can go down in just a couple weeks. I took a couple weeks off to hang out with family, spend the holidays with family, traveled a little bit, and just took some time to myself. But damn, goddamn things can happen in just a short amount of time. Things could happen overnight. I think that's what we were talking about the last time with the, the, the fucking weather, you know, fucking mother nature. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The, uh, 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 getting back to my, my exercises. I was trying to warm up and still feel like I'm getting back into, to the podcast groove here. This helps. That may have been annoying, but it helps. (laughs) Today is... It's a sad day. It really is. Last night was a sad night. Got news that Bob Saget, the comedian and actor, had passed away. It's the third fucking big name to pass away, you know, first Betty White, then Sidney Portier, and now Bob Saget. And all three of them very significant for very many reasons. Um, Betty White is like your favorite grandma. It's like she was everyone's grandma. If you didn't have a good grandma, like she just she took that spot and filled that role very well. <laughs> Sydney Portier was a an amazing actor and filmed in in a lot of roles that were crucial and weren't just how do I say it kind of uh, oh what's the fucking word 
this, this is what I get for not podcasting for a couple of weeks. It's not that they were um, controversial. It's that the, they were also crucial. He played, he played roles of, of people who actually were living through terrible experiences in, in the black American story. I haven't been in those shoes, but it helps me as this white male in America understand what someone else is going through. And, you know, um, I, I, I do have friends that are black and have shared similar experiences with me in real life. Just, I can't say how important Sydney was for, for all the work that he did and what he stood for. And, for the torch that he helped carry. So fast forward to today, we've lost a important grandmother figure, an important figure for Black America. And now we've lost kind of a, a generation's TV dad. And, you know, many, many of us don't have strong ties with their, their dad. And so you kind of have to put it together, put the pieces the puzzle together to figure out what it's like to grow up in the world and and find those voices or those personalities to fill in some holes or gaps that maybe you're missing in your life. And the truth is, is Bob Saget playing Danny Tanner, he he helped fill that role for many people and was a dad who was accepting, a dad who met the kids where they are. A dad who failed often, but was transparent about his failures as a human, as a father. And then on top of that, like Bob Saget himself was just an amazing comedian. Why does it hurt so much whenever we lose these people? And, and I, I think right now with things still happening with COVID and the world feeling like it's in a little bit of disarray, the holidays are over. There seems to be a little bit of this um, joyful bubble that's been popped. We're back to the grind, back to work. The fun is over kind of feeling. And yet the world is still, I don't know, turned sideways, upside down. You know, it just still seems like we're, we're just still dealing with a lot of harsh realities on so many levels. And so when you lose people who make you laugh, people who make you smile. It hurts. It feels like there is something missing because there is. And I, I don't know. I'll just say this. Find something, someone that makes you laugh this week. It can be a TV show. It can be a podcast. It can be a book. Whatever. Whatever. You know, a friend. Call, call a friend. Have a conversation knowing that you're going to have some nervous laughs and like or or just some hilarious memories like if you have that person in your life that's a huge blessing i'd encourage you to do it there's a handful of of people i'm so grateful to still have in my life from my childhood from my family that i can text joke around with um shoot a one liner over and it's just like you both know that like there's kind of an inside like oh yeah they know like they know what that means and <laughs> it's good it's it's good to have that because, man, it's just it, those are the things that really keep you grounded, and those are the things that get you out of your own head and your own uh, box and and your own worldview. And sometimes, as I'm learning, your own worldview isn't always 
the best worldview. And you need other people to introduce you to something else, whether it be a little bit of hope, a little bit of love, a little bit of perspective, a little bit of wisdom. That stuff's good. And it's, man, I don't know. I just, it's just needed. It's needed. It's a weird day. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a bummer. Um, what else? I Well, I'll say this before I forget. Um, this is very important to the show. The show may be spotty over the next few weeks. I'd, I'd just take a gander and say over the next six weeks because I'm moving across town. This is my seventh move in four and a half years living in Nashville. I feel like I'm becoming a pro at moving around. <laughs> First time home buyer and very excited to move into home. I'm going to call home for quite a while. Can't wait. And with that, there's lots of projects to do. There's going to be moving itself. Going to have to set up a whole new podcast space. Got guests lined up. I've reached out to dozens of people who are willing and waiting to come on, scheduling that out this year. So that's all exciting. It's good news. And can't wait to continue the show. It just may not be weekly at this point, but I promise I will do my best to put out content, to do something, to check in as best as I can. But I'm also going to have to take care of me. That's something that I tend to preach, if you will, on this show is to take care of yourself, to be nice to yourself. And sometimes for me, being nice to myself means having that extra beer or having a little bit more uh, popcorn and gummy bears. <laughs> Ooh, let's get really, really into Clark's deep secrets here. <laughs> Beer, popcorn, gummy bears. What else is he junking out on? <laughs> and watching a little bit more Harry Potter or whatever. Like, just, just be nice to yourself. I, I do work out. I got some back issues right now that are hindering me from working out. The weather's been crazy. It got freezing. And I don't know, like my back's kind of just messed up. <laughs> and then I'm just reminding myself whether I'm working out, whether I'm having the beer, whether I'm junking out, or whether I'm doing the podcast, it's like just have fun. Just laugh. Just take a moment and go get the glass of water <laughs> and take care of yourself. Is take care of yourself. That's what this is all about. Learning to take care of yourself. I'm learning to take care of me. And I guess I'm bringing you along the journey. <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't even introduced <laughs> the guest for today. Wow. All right. So I guess we're just going to go ahead and do that because I haven't done a podcast in just two, three weeks. And here I am already forgetting how to do an intro. Wow. I'm sorry, Daniel. Daniel, have you been waiting this whole time? Have you been putting up with all this BS? <laughs> Daniel is a singer-songwriter, a guitar player, um, an amazing performer. I had the privilege of running sound for Daniel in a bar. <clears throat> Hang on. Let me drink a little more coffee because that, that'll totally not dry my throat out. Yeah. Just totally relaxed show today. Don't mind me. <laughs> so Daniel came and performed at the show that I was running sound. And it was it was awesome. He just it was him and his guitar. 
he had a very captivating presence and I was enticed. I was enthralled. The dude was, you could just tell a good old boy from Kentucky, which I clicked with because I have roots in Kentucky. Always went to Eastern Kentucky to visit family as a kid. And, you know, I grew up right on the border of Indiana, Kentucky, like as Midwest as I am, like, come on, like Kentucky's not that far away. It's not very foreign to me. So yeah, we, we clicked when we met, we kept in touch through Instagram. I've always wanted to have him on the show once I realized I was relaunching the podcast. So reached out to him. He said he was down. We did a Zoom call, caught up, talked about that show that I ran sound at and kind of learned what he's up to now. I will say, if you have the time, definitely go check out Daniel's work. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, all the platforms. Specifically, and I'm pulling it up right now because I don't want to uh, forget it. Appalachian Cry. We talk about this during the interview. It is an EP that Daniel put out in 2019. And there are a few songs on there that we talk about. And it's beautiful. It's Daniel's... The way that Daniel can sculpt the story and kind of just bring you into it, it's it's awesome. So go check it out. It's beautiful music. Super grateful that Daniel got to come on and have this conversation with me in excited for you guys to hear. So I'll get out of the way. I'll, go, I'll let my crazy just just meander on. <laughs> I've got boxes to pack anyways. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Without further ado, my guest today, singer-songwriter, the one and only Daniel Niehoff. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, what's up, Daniel? Oh, not much. How are you? Dude, I'm doing wonderful. Awesome. Do we uh do we just get audio today? Uh I think there we oh, go. There you are. What's up, dude? What's up, man? <laughs> you look great. <laughs> well, I'm like rolled out of bed. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's all right. I uh oh, hey, cheers. <laughs> Right, important <laughs> meal of the day, right here. Yeah. <laughs> How do you drink your coffee? I just drink black. I'm, yeah, same. Yeah, I'm a I'm an old man when it comes to coffee, ice cream, and whiskey. Uh, <laughs> black coffee, <laughs> vanilla ice cream, and straight whiskey. Uh, yeah. So, man, you're you're in good company then. Um, <laughs> wow, we we have more in common. <laughs> more and more, we just keep going with this. Because <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we both have roots in Kentucky, if I remember right. Like, you're f- from Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm actually back in Kentucky now, too, in Paducah. So. Cool. I thought it was Paducah. Yeah. I I was trying to reorient. It's been a couple years. And I couldn't remember if it was Paducah or Murray State. Murray, Kentucky area, but yeah, it's, it's close to Murray. Yeah, it's it's like maybe 30, 30 40 minutes from Murray, something like that. So uh, cool. it's just like straight north from Murray. I was trying to go through when it was that I'd met you, and I I failed to pull up the the now defunct the old line. <laughs> um, there, they had an Instagram. And I was trying to remember what month it was that you played. 
at the old line and how you got there. Yeah, that was so long ago too. I forgot all about that. Um, that was, yeah, that was like a. Was that just me on stage, or was that a round? It was just you, and I'm thumbing through here. Did you yeah. do? Go ahead. That that was the that was the night I had made up that song um, about uh, moms uh, about uh, the hardest job. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. Because there are two <laughs> songs that I remember that you played that night, and one of them was the Appalachian Cry. Yeah. And the yeah that song that the Sam the bartender yeah. was working that night. Like you said, you would base that song off of her, and <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, that's the first thing that I want to ask is like, was that something that you did often? Like ask a bartender like their life story and then piece oh, yeah. it together real quick. I do it all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorite things. Like, I'll, uh, um, <laughs> sometimes it, it's a sweet song like that. But uh, I did that down in uh, Georgia at a bar south of um, south of Atlanta there. And this lady told me the craziest story I think I've ever heard. And I probably can't repeat a lot of it. But uh, <laughs> sure. it was like the, the cliff notes was uh, she, she was with this guy. He was not a good dude. Uh, and so she shot him in the stomach sent him to the hospital and then uh one of her like good friends quote unquote uh <laughs> she uh she went to see her husband at the hospital and ended up having an affair with her husband it was this crazy deal and uh so i was like man like the appropriate thing to say at that point is like well it's great to meet you i'm gonna get out of here uh, <laughs> but, but instead i was like man i would love to write a song called i'm a firm believer in revenge like because that's that's what it feels like like is that you uh you've you've got that down because like she ended up, she ended up getting getting revenge on the husband and the friend and i was just like dag dumb oh my gosh <laughs> luckily she liked it didn't shoot me uh but <laughs> i was like i was thinking back like every single time i think about it now i'm like that was dumb it's like what was i thinking like this woman just told me she shot somebody already like and she didn't seem like she was mournful about it. She was like, yeah, I shot him. Just like, so matter of fact, <laughs> like, yeah, do it again. You know, <laughs> like, it wasn't like, I just, you know, I feel bad about it. No, she had no moral qualms about it. He was like, she, he had it coming. Like, uh, <laughs> and so it was so funny, but yeah, I do it all the time. Uh, and I, I'll even do it from the stage. I'll, I'll ask people, you know, like if you've got a good line or if you've got a good story or something like that, uh, then come up and tell me and I'll turn it into a song in like three minutes, you know. How uh, how how long have you been doing that? Oh man, I don't I don't even know. I've been I mean I've been writing songs since I was like six or seven years old. And so okay. uh I've been uh I've I always tell people I've I've pretty much just been full of shit forever. And so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on, on Absolutely. The yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I I was people ask me like, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I mean, it's really rooted in being really full of shit. Like that's the trick. <laughs> you just gotta you gotta be completely full of shit. Like lie all the time. It's like I was just really good at lying, and I was like, you know what? If I put these to melodies, then I've got songs. It's like there nice. you go. Uh, <laughs> so it was funny. Uh, but that's yeah. I do it all the time. Like every show I ask somebody that. So, and I, I use it sometimes because I know that it'll win a table over. And so yeah. I was playing in Virginia and there was this table that was like, I was on this little like 
elevated area, but it wasn't really a stage. It was just more seating that was slightly higher. And yeah. uh, there was a table literally right next to me. Like, I mean, I could have hit these people in the head with my guitar. Like, I mean, just that close. Yeah. And I got up and was playing and I knew like, if if the, and it was a table full of uh, girls who were celebrating the last night before this girl got married. Sure. And I was like, they're going to be loud. This is going to be really bad. Like, I got to win this table over right from the start. Otherwise, oh, yeah. it's going to be the worst night ever. <laughs> and so <laughs> I talked to them a little bit before I started and got kind of a little bit of their story. And uh, the girl said that she was getting married the next day. And I asked her how she met her uh, fiance. And she said she met him online and just laughed. And she said, sometimes it works. <laughs> and I, laughed, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, and so after I got started, I did a song or two. And I, I made a joke about, you know, like this table next to me, like so-and-so is getting married tomorrow. Y'all give her a hand. It's like uh, she didn't tell me whether she met him on like eHarmony or Tinder or Grindr. I don't know. But uh, she uh, <laughs> like just they were just laughing. I was like, but she did say something to me that that really stuck out whenever I was talking to her right before I, I got up here. And she said, sometimes it works. And I was like, so that's going to be the name of this next song is sometimes it works. And uh, just made one up. And they loved it. And like they were my biggest fans for the rest of the night. Some dude, oh, man. and he was like, "I thought these were like your friends, like that, like they came and saw you all the time or something." Like, but you were talking about it like you didn't even know. Him. I was like, "Yeah, I have no idea who any of those people were." <laughs> like, I was just scared. Like, I was trying to make sure that they didn't ruin my night. <laughs> and like, I was just scared. I was <laughs> so I was honest. Just, I was just scared. I was like, just basically feeding into their like uh, ego and their night, trying to make sure they had a great night. Because if they had a bad night, I was going to have a terrible night. So, yeah. <laughs> purely selfish. It's, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true though. I've DJed a little bit here in Nashville, and the as I'm sure you can imagine, with Broadway being in the center of downtown, like bachelorette parties. And the whole fucking buses and converted buses into party buses and that that's all here. And the few times I've DJed, it's like if you get a bridal bachelorette party coming in, like you have to win those people over because those are like 10 people who are going to be on the dance floor or at that table for you know however much time and they're gonna attract even more people coming in. So yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely a little Either bit of, ruin your night or make it the best night ever. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of have to sell your soul a little bit to appease them for you know those few minutes. Like when they come up and request a song, you're kind of like, ah, I don't, I don't really want to play that song. But <laughs> right, all right, it, it, the payoff. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the only thing worse than them not being into it is them being directly against it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I hate this guy. It's like, let's make his life terrible. <laughs> Have like, you had that happen before? No, I don't think so. Like, <laughs> okay. not, All right. not, not like straight up. I did, I did play at this place and like, I, this is, this is one of my pet peeves is like, I was singing and in the middle of a song and then this big group decided to start singing happy birthday like 12 people singing happy birthday while I'm in the middle of the song. And I was like, are you serious? Yeah. It's like, you can come up and just be like, Hey, it's our friend's birthday. It's like, would you mind like just saying happy birthday and singing happy birthday? We're going to, mm -hmm. or just letting me know, like we're going to sing happy birthday after this song. Like, if you don't mind, I would be like, okay, totally. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
but I'm like mid like verse, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, and I, it was like John Pry in Paradise, <laughs> and and it like that's that's not an easy transition. It's no. like, Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down to Western Kentucky? Happy birthday! I'm like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> For uh, sure. <laughs> I just stopped. I was just I just started playing guitar and laughing and shaking my head and every like there was a guy behind him. My favorite part was there was a guy behind him who did like the field go pose, just like. <laughs> Like, are you serious? Like, he knew. He was like, you got to be kidding me. And I looked at him. We locked eyes for a second and had this moment. And I was like, yeah, man. It's like, I feel the (laughs) same right now. (laughs) He was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. That working, working a crowd. And I mean, there's what it's one thing to be an artist and to, kind of draw on your craft, but then to present it and engage yeah. like that level is just, it's, it's a whole nother aspect of being a performing yeah. artist, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, and I never wanted to perform my songs, honestly. I just yeah. wanted people to do them. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, it seems like every week you're posting that you're traveling somewhere yeah. to do some show. Well, and, and I, that all, that all kind of shifted whenever I moved down to Nashville because like, you know, that's that's one thing that can really set somebody apart is the ability to present your own music, you know, because like you said, that's mm-hmm. a whole different skill set. And yeah. I uh, I was not very good at it before and I've gotten a lot better. But like I, whenever I first started playing out, like I was just awkward, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of six kids. And so like uh, I was like the quiet one while all the siblings were always talking and uh like they didn't think that I, I had much to say until like they talked to kids who I went to school with and they were like, Daniel's so funny. And I was like, Yeah, hell yeah, I'm funny. It's like y'all just won't <laughs> shut the fuck up. It's like, <laughs> like let me talk and you would realize I'm hilarious. I am a delight to be around. But they were like, Daniel was like, Really? It's like I didn't think he talked all that much. And uh so uh, but like I I had to like really develop like some some like verbiage of like kind of like how I'm going to present songs and how I'm going to talk between songs. And like, you almost have to work on that. Like you do the song itself, you know, it's mm. uh, when my wife would come see me play. Um, I would, I wouldn't normally ask like, how did the song sound? I'd be like, how was that joke I made right before I played this song? <laughs> it's like, was it, did it hit very well? Or like, were people like, this guy is freaking cheesy like uh and so she would uh she'd be like no you were the only one laughing no one else was laughing that was a terrible joke <laughs> like, <laughs> you just need that second person to read the room <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and so like it was it was funny you know i'd work on like i've got a i've got this song called more to the song and it's uh it's about like you know how at the end of jolene you don't know what happened if yeah. jolene Dolly's man or if you know Dolly I always make a joke whenever I uh, play the song I'm always like you know you don't know if Jolene stole Dolly's man or if Jolene's buried in Dolly's basement it's probably one or the other like if I had to like Jolene's probably still on the run if she did steal Dolly's man because Uh you know it's like just I would always joke about it and like I, I went through like several different iterations of that joke and I would always be like, how was it this time? Like, was it too long? Was the setup too long? <laughs> but you need to get it. Yeah. It's you're, you're rambling. Like that's what you're doing. You're rambling. And then you're playing the song. It's like, just, just make it short and sweet. Like just make right. <laughs> yeah. I always envision that she's singing the song each time, still wondering if Jolene's in the room. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> she'll finally right. just walk up to the front of the stage and be like, <laughs> it's me. I it's <laughs> every time she sees a red haired girl, she's like, <laughs> like there's the hussy. I know it. <laughs> Doing it tonight. <laughs> Put it on the set list. <laughs> yeah, that heifer. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> so take us back to seven years old when you were getting into writing. What were you writing about? Well, I, I started out writing Christian songs. Uh, more okay. Than- and so uh, my my dad he would write a lot you know he uh, he'd come home after work and he was a house painter and like I said I was one of six kids and so like he just worked all the freaking time like if mm. he wasn't working you know he was at home playing songs or drinking uh, like that was that was pretty much it and so yeah. so he was just just worn out all the time I watching him play and watching him you know get behind a guitar make up a song and just like kind of release from the day um really made me fall in love with it um and he had so much fun doing it and then my brother did it as well he started whenever he was about um probably 18 17 18 and so that's why i started at that time uh and so i picked it up and just naturally the first thing that came out was was christian music because you know it's uh it's kind of the old adage you write what you know and uh sure. back then, that was really the thing that was the biggest impact in, in my life. And uh, it was just uh, having a relationship with God and, and with Jesus Christ and finding that and, and finding out kind of who he was to me. And yeah. I think that was the the big, big entry. And, and I wrote things that uh, were probably like weirdly deep for a, a child to write. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, the earliest song I remember writing was a song called, I, I think I called it like, eyes or something like that and it was it was about if i had the characteristics of god how different i would see the world and how different i would interact with the world and so uh, the first line was what would i have seen if i had your eyes would i see the very strings of life what would i have known if i had your mind to who could i give sight who was still blind what could i have felt if i had your hands could i feel the very heart inside this man um and it was like these these lines that were talking about if i had these characteristics like how different would yeah. my life be and then just this cry out of like how i want those eyes i want your heart i want your mind i want all these things um and i want you to set a fire in me so that i can go do the things that i need to do um and so that was that was whenever i was i think i was about eight uh whenever i wrote that and uh and you still remember those lines yeah, that was yeah, that's yeah. the earliest one I remembered. I, I had written one right before that, and I cannot remember it for the life of me. But mm. um, but that was the one that I remembered the most, and uh, and I remember playing it and everyone like crying and me being like, "Why is everybody crying?" And then I was <laughs> like, uh, "Oh, because it's it's weird. It's an eight year old singing about things that are really deep." Uh, um, <laughs> I don't get you. That will get you whenever a young child sings about you know really deep things that they shouldn't be able to feel uh so i should have been singing about like candy or something i don't know (laughs) (laughs) if they would have came in i was like lollipop lollipop they would have been like oh that's cute you know yeah 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 i'm just curious like your dad was your dad writing deep music like that as well or was it just kind of the passion of what your dad was doing in the moment that inspired and then once you sat down yourself you're like okay like you said like this is what i know and this is what i'm feeling so was that was this an outlet for you to kind of ex- start expressing what you were feeling and knowing? You know, it sounds like yeah, absolutely the bottom yeah. 
of the barrel of six kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> you gotta yeah. fight your way to the top on that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it was for sure. It was it was a way um it started out of a, a love of seeing what my dad was doing and seeing what my brother was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it became uh just a, a way to express myself and and a way to um almost uh it, it was almost therapeutic, you know, because I uh I growing up, you know, we, we were poor and we didn't have the the best upbringing, but we had a lot of love. And that was, that was something that I, I definitely feel like, um, we were lucky in, but we, we also had a lot of heartbreak and a lot of hardships. And so it was, it was really therapeutic for me to be able to sit down with a guitar and be able to figure out, you know, instead of keeping a journal, I wrote songs, you know? And so, yeah. Uh, there was there was a song I wrote when I was 16 that I still remember and that my my parents still remember and it's still one that they really connected with um, called Nothing and the whole premise of that was um, I was in a place where I just I didn't uh, I wasn't happy and I didn't know why like there was no reason there was just there was just depression and um, mm. and so. Uh, the the whole premise of the song was when someone asks you what's wrong, like the most common answer everybody gives is nothing, you know. Yeah. And, and then I I gave this nothing a form because I needed to somehow I guess inside that time. And so the chorus was, but nothing is killing me and nothing is stealing me. Nothing's breaking me. It's taking me away. Nothing's haunting me and nothing's taunting me. Um, nothing's holding me from the break of day. But when you ask what's wrong, I say it's nothing, you know, like this, mm. this, whole, this whole, like I needed, I needed to give it some sort of form, I guess, in that time. Yeah. And the way I did it was, was through writing songs and, uh, and did you ever I, record that. Uh, yeah, I did. It was a, a long time ago and I never released it, but, oh, uh, man. but I, I've, uh, I've thought about actually pulling that back out and, and doing something with that and putting it on like kind of a, I, I've been, thinking about new projects and kind of what I'm going to do next as far as that goes. And uh, about doing something with that of doing kind of like the songs that made me. And uh, you know, I, these are, these are the songs that, that kind of helped me figure out who I was as a kid. Um, And so that's um, a great concept. And like, you know, not to tell you what to do with, with your, with your music, but it's like, even just you explaining that song and reciting a few of the lines, like I connected with that just now. And I feel like, that song in particular and you explaining like the the background and the meaning behind it like that would that would really connect with a lot of people nowadays you know and especially with how common it is to now talk about mental health and being open with that you know there's still like my greatest challenge right now in my life is to reach out to those who seem like they have big personalities because i've noticed you know when i portray you know i kind of portray myself as having somewhat of a big personality. And there are times where I feel like people don't check in because they're just like, oh, he's posting on the socials or doing this thing. So like, he's probably good. Yeah, And I've been guilty of that as well. And then when I get to know my friends with these bigger personalities and, and, you know, check in on them, it's like something has hit the fan. Yeah, And, you know, it's kind of that two-way thing where it's like, I can also be guilty of being busy and, you know, like you said, like someone asks you what's wrong, you're just kind of like, ah, nothing, or hey, it's all good, it'll be right. fine. <laughs> well, and, and like, you know, we live in this uh, fake it till you make it world, you know, of like, mm-hmm. just, you know, if you pretend like everything's okay, then, you know, it's it's gonna be fine, you know, like, but that's not, that's not how 
uh, broken things work, you know, like if you pretend like your car is okay, uh, whenever it's making weird sounds, it's, it's not going to magically get better, <laughs> you know, like, or if you pretend like your roof's not leaking, like it's not going to magically patch itself, you know, yeah. and, uh, it's, it's that whole, uh, going through those, those stages of grief almost of like, whenever something's wrong, like people want to just deny, like that's the very mm-hmm. first, just, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and you never, you never fix broken things by pretending they're not broken, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's hard to do, like you said, in today's world. And it's, it's great that like nowadays, like you're saying too, is that it's so much more common to talk about when you're struggling, when you're mm-hmm. going through these things, you know, and there's a lot of great, uh, great icons who have made that a little more accessible, like, uh, the way Simone Biles did with the, the Olympics. Yeah. And the way a lot of athletes and a lot of musicians have come out and said, you know, like, hey, like, I'm struggling sometimes and I, I'm like anybody else. Like, I I have my issues and I need to need to work through them. And so I uh, I definitely I can definitely connect with that. And that I, and I have kind of revisited that thought of putting that song out. And it is it is by far like my my dad and my mom love that song um, because yeah. they they had, you know, as hard as. Hard as my upbringing was, uh, theirs was even harder. And uh, sure, uh, because my my dad was one of six kids too, um, and uh, had a a rough relationship with his father. And um, and then my mom was one of uh, my mom was one of thirteen kids, and they lived in a single wide trailer. And so uh, that was uh, that was a really rough upbringing. They were just dirt poor, you know, running around with no shoes on, out in the middle of nowhere. Were they baby boomers or at least like younger siblings of baby boomers? Uh, yeah, they they were boomers. They yeah, okay. were yeah, and so yeah, um, they uh, they. I mean, uh, my my oldest sibling is eleven years older than me, and so um, mm-hmm. and uh, and then my parents they're uh, pushed close to seventy at this point. They're uh, in their sixties, um, but yeah, my, yeah, my parents they, are in a in a in a similar age range. So they're both in their seventies now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I they it's the same. Like they grew up with, compared to what I had, they grew up with nothing. You know, like my mom was the oldest of six kids, and she, um, to my knowledge, grew up in a house where they only had maybe two bedrooms with six kids, and so yeah. most of the girls there was like five girls and and one boy, and and I think they had to like split up the basement with with blankets and sheets, you know, so they could have different rooms. So like thinking about that or thinking about like my dad grew up in Eastern Kentucky with uh, grip on a, on a, a farm. And so he had experienced a uh, house fire growing yeah. up and that like that trauma and, and reliving that carried on for the rest of his life. And even thinking about that one experience, like I've, I've had a, you know, my fair share of hardships and, and weird things that I had to go through as a kid, but it's like, I didn't lose all of my home overnight, you yeah. know? And so yeah, and that, I can relate to that. That is definitely a traumatic experience. Do you feel like you're still that introspective still? Like as you were when you were seven, 16, like, have you still kept in touch with that side of you? Or are you still viewing the world in, in yeah, that I mean, type of lens? You know, it's, uh, uh, it's funny, like, I, I feel like I, I go through different phases and, uh, but 
I feel like there's always a thread of that because like when I'm, when I sit and I listen to people and I talk to people, uh, I'm always trying to kind of, and it, I, part of it might be the, the songwriter in me, but I'm always trying to kind of find the little pearls of, of, uh, wisdom inside of these moments, you know, like, like whenever I was talking to the table of girls who were getting married the next day and, yeah. and she, sometimes it works, you know, and I, uh, sometimes it's like a statement like that. Uh, just, I, I kind of lay in that for a little bit and I try to try to find as much wisdom in that as I can. And, uh, and just kind of meditate on, on little things like that, because I, I feel like, uh, in some ways I, I feel like I'm more, uh, I'm more observational of the world than I used to be. Um, mm. but I, I can definitely also feel like, uh, as you get older, you just naturally become more cynical too, you know, like you just, uh, like, because you got to look for hope uh, a lot more as an adult instead of just yeah. living in hope as a kid. You know, like uh, when you're when you're young, everything has hope in it because like your whole life is ahead of you. And I feel like the older you get, the more uh, times your heart gets broken and the more times you you get disappointed and heroes fall, like the more you have to like find that hope and be that hope yourself, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that that's probably where that shift has changed. Um, I still still feel introspective, but it's more about where I'm, where I'm really fueling that and where I'm directing it, you know, and trying to make sure, because like my, my dad told me whenever I started writing songs, I wrote, I wrote some that were just super sad. Like just, mm. you know, I went through the, the angsty teenage years and, uh, and he was like, you know, that's, it's a, it's a fine song, but he said, what, what good did you do? Whoever listened to it, you know, like what good did you do for whoever listened to that song? If you yeah. leave inside this despair, like you need to have some hope in everything that you do. Otherwise, you're you're doing a disservice to the people listening to you. And I've really hung on to that a lot, you know, and I, I don't like not every song has to be the whole story. But I, I try to try to have a little bit of a thread of hope in almost everything because um, because of that. And and so I think that's where that that introspectiveness has, has kind of shifted a little bit for me, but I, I do definitely still feel like it's there. I still think way too much and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and then go way too deep, uh, inside of, inside of that stuff. But Hey, um, preaching to the choir now. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, that's all I, me. I'm sure, I'm sure it drives my wife crazy sometimes. Uh, because like if I get on a, a roll with something, I'll just like just go off on this this tangent of you know like the theory of life. Uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and does she rein you in? Uh, she does. Yeah, she's like she'll she'll usually humor me for a little bit, and then she'll be like, okay, well, uh, I think I'm good now. It's like I'm not. <laughs> like, uh, like I've, you know, I, I feel like you know you've solved all the world's problems you're going to solve today. Uh, like <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, she's she's great. My my wife is is really good because like I I am not like a a super. I I at least I don't feel like I'm a a super arrogant prick or anything. You know, I try to be uh-huh. try to be a nice guy and I try to be just pretty approachable. Just uh, a mild arrogant. Yeah, mild prick. Yeah, I try to straddle the lines between you know just confidence and pure prick. Uh, and uh, and it's funny, you know, like I'll I'll play a show and and we watched uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's from Paducah uh, as well. And yeah, he is. 
he uh, he played in Paducah with the symphony orchestra, like the the event center here, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. And he he said this thing because like he was winning all these Grammys and Dove awards and all this stuff back in the yeah. day. Uh, he said, you know, he'd come home and he'd be like, man, honey, I won three Grammys tonight. It was amazing. She'd be like, that's great, Stephen. Um, can you take the trash out? Uh, while you're-? <laughs> <laughs> it was just like immediately leveled him back out. Like, I'm still a human being, like, you know, and stuff. Uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of my wife loved that. And she uh, she's, she's definitely, <laughs> definitely done that for me uh, because I haven't won any Grammys or anything like that. But you know, when you when you play a lot of shows and you have people, you know, you have people come up and they're like, oh, my God, you're so great and all this stuff. And and it's really great and you feel mm-hmm. really good. But then it's also good to remember, like, you know, that's that's not the end all. Like uh, a lot of those people aren't going to remember uh, here in a couple of weeks who you yeah. are. So uh, you might as well just like put your head down, keep on working and keep on uh, trying to trying to drive and dig and, and do the next one, you know. And what's that transition look like for you mentally going from being praised to now like you were at home and just the other part of piece of the home? <laughs> well, it's a, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, even though I'm, I'm at home now, I still, I still don't feel like I'm, I'm not being praised. You know, my, my wife is also good about encouraging me whenever I get down, you know, she's, mm. she kind of just keeps me leveled out. And uh, um, because like, even even after playing a bunch of shows, sometimes you get to the end of playing shows and you're like, "What the hell was that even? <laughs> Did I do anything this week? Like, oh I, man, I have wasted this entire time." And so, um, but she is uh, she's also as good as she is of bringing me down whenever my head gets too big. She's also good about saying, you know, like, look, you're working and you're hustling and you're doing the best you can. You're you're driving. You're really trying to do something incredible and yeah. you're trying to do something that's very difficult. It's like just just keep working at it. Like you're you're on the right track and think about where you came from. And you know, she's she's good at that. She uh so uh so I I feel like I kind of stay in a, a pretty level place. Um I don't feel like I I ride too many highs or too many lows. I uh I just yeah. try try to stay in the in the middle and try to keep perspective of both ends of you know I I'm not uh, I definitely haven't made it anywhere uh but I've I've made it yeah. farther than I have been at least and so I I still like I, whenever I moved to Nashville uh and was living there I, I told people you know when I first moved down I knew like maybe like this much of the music business Mm. And I knew that there was like this much I needed to know. Uh, and and I remember people telling me like, well, what do you what do you feel like? You know, how how much do you feel like, you know, now? And I was like, well, whenever I moved down, I, I realized I still know this much of the music business, but there's actually this much that I need. <laughs> I was like, so I do know more. Like, yeah. I know that I know even less than I thought I did. Like, right. that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I, I figured out. And so, um, would you, you know, move down here? Uh, I moved down there, uh, I guess it was maybe four years ago. Uh, I moved uh, and lived down there for about three years. And then our our house burned down, actually. Our uh, apartment building burned down. Uh, I'm so sorry. And so we we moved back up here right before, uh, well, it was kind of right in the midst of of COVID. Um, It was like 2020. um, I think it was May of 2020. Um, It was March or May. I can't remember. I don't. I. I. Uh, I kind of. It's okay. 
forgotten the date, uh, just uh, probably on purpose. But um, that's all right. We were we were living there for a few years, and uh, but we were very fortunate in the midst of that. You know, we were we were really lucky. Um, but yeah, our our entire apartment building it was a forty one unit building, and it uh it all burned down, and uh, we were able to save a lot of the stuff though from ours. Yeah. Had a lot of people help us out. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people that I was like totally prepared not to tell anybody, uh, and just be like, all right, well, we're just going to move on figure out what to do from here. And, uh, right. uh, mind, uh, Paul Ivy, he saw it on the news and, uh, he, uh, sent me a text. He was like, Hey, I just saw, uh, an apartment in Goodlettsville had burned down. It looked a lot like y'all. It's like, is, was that y'all's apartment? And I, I was like, yeah, that was, that was us. And, uh, um, he, uh, he started a GoFundMe and, um, we were able to get a lot of money and be able to, um, help kind of rebuild and uh, yeah. what to do. And, uh, we're able to help some of the other people in the apartment building too, which was really great. Cause so a lot of people lost a lot more than we did. Yeah. I actually think I know someone who is in that same complex because really? I was wondering what side of town it was when he said Goodlitzville. I think that's where one of my buddies, he was just moving out and had lost very little. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm glad to know that you guys are okay. And and I know man, when it comes to, to fire and water, it they don't mess around. And no. you know, there was a flood here in, in South Nashville back in March and that affected the the subdivision that I, I live in. And man, like everybody's home was wrecked. And yeah. And, it, and it's one of those things too where it's like like you said, you don't remember what day it was. You just know that it it happened. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was that. Uh, it was such of a a hazy, just you know, such a quick thing. Yeah. And, and so yeah, it was uh, it was crazy for sure. But um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I look back and I think of, uh, I wrote a I wrote a song in the midst of that about kind of um, how uh, when tragedy when tragedy strikes, I feel like. Uh, it's kind of like the human body whenever you have like, a, you know, a virus or something like that, like mm. your body creates antibodies and it, it creates all these things to like come in and attack this, this thing inside of your body. And I feel like tragedy is a lot like that. Like um, you, you have so many people in the midst of tragedy who come out of the woodwork to try to love you and try to try to help you. And it's almost like those antibodies or, you know, it's like endorphins or something that, that rise up whenever you need them. And, uh, and so I, I wrote a song called fire and light and it was about, you know, like how you can't, you can't have fire without light, like fire, fire, maybe this destructive thing, but it also produces this thing that, that helps you see through the darkness. And, uh, and so, uh, it was a uh, it was a really humbling experience to to be able to because I'm not good at asking for help but um, mm-hmm. it was a really humbling experience to be able to to not even have to ask and just have people come out and and love us and take care of us and uh, um, I always uh, I told a lot of people I was like man I'm I'm really glad people like my wife because I know I'm an asshole um, but uh, <laughs> but it was. Uh, <laughs> It was a really, um, ironically, it was a really good time in our lives because we were able to uh, get out of Nashville and go back home during the midst of COVID. Um, And it gave us some time to kind of think and, uh, you know, strategize what we wanted to do and and where we wanted to be. Um, And now we're, uh, you know, we 
we've got a house here and uh, I've uh, been traveling a lot. It makes so much more sense for my wife to be around family and friends instead of yeah. a city full of strangers. And so, um, so it's, it's been a, a really good move and, uh, and it ended up being a, a blessing in disguise for sure. Yeah, that sounds like it. I'm really glad to hear that. I was definitely going to check in on, you know, how things have been for you guys or for you during this time, you know, the world was just turned upside down over yeah. and over and over yeah. and over again. <laughs> and then, you know, we we share that thing in common where we both experienced personal trauma in the midst of the global trauma, but it's that's beautiful how you how you see that how the people in your life are the antibodies and yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> it's amazing yeah that's you know cool. and, and that's uh uh definitely definitely the best analogy i feel like for the times too you know it's like uh yeah uh, if if the world is sick then uh the best best way to respond to it is with with love and uh trying to rush to those in need i feel like and so um, that's, uh, that's definitely something that, 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 that had taught me, uh, is, yeah. um, in the midst of tragedy, we are the, the cure, you know, we're, we're the antibodies, we're the endorphins, we're the, the ones to come in and help people who, who are struggling. And, yeah. uh, and so that was, a like I said, it was, it was very humbling, uh, cause I'm, I'm not good at asking for help, but it was, uh, it was a really good lesson. And that was one of those, one of those introspective moments for sure of, uh, just, taking a, a really deep look and trying to figure out, uh, trying to find some order in the midst of all the chaos that was going on. Yeah. And I I can understand that on some level. Like it's hard for me to, to do what I would hope one of my friends would do or one of my buddies, which is to ask for help. And then, right. you know, when you're put in that position, it's kind of like, Oh, like, like you said earlier, like, Oh, we'll get through it. We'll, We'll figure it out, and I think a part of that is some of my my upbringing coming out. You know, of like that very, you know, I grew up in Indiana, so very Midwest blue collar, and then have my my father who grew up on the farm. Like it's just like you just figured out and do it, right? And to be at a point, several points in my life where there was maybe a good sense of community or friendships happening. It's like, oh, like hang on, like. There are some things I literally can't figure out on my own. And I have to pull from my friends who are these resources who are in some ways encyclopedias about how to fix something in the house or how to like, you know, shop around for a car when you, right. <laughs> you know, um, just very basic things that <laughs> otherwise I'd just be like, no, I'm just gonna like stress and figure it out. It's it's much easier. To rely on other people. <laughs> there's, there's some things that Google don't know. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> you just, those are the things that you got to be like, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll get some help on these. Uh, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when you moved to Nashville, did you, so you didn't move here for like school or anything like you moved here. To, yeah. I just moved to, to write music. Song. Yeah. Okay. I, I, when I first moved down, um, I think it was like 2016 whenever I, I first moved. Mm. And uh, um, when I first moved down, I was writing a ton. I uh, did three rides a day, um, six days a week. And wow. did, did a, like, you know, morning, afternoon, evening. Wrote probably, I don't know, like a couple hundred songs or, or more um, just in that first couple months. I realized that that was unsustainable and that was stupid. And uh, I... <laughs> 
I wasn't getting anything else done. Uh, I was uh, I was hardly finding time to eat, and so yeah, I was like, all I'd right, say. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out a little more balanced approach to this, you know, because like that's a uh, that's something I I probably struggle with the most is figuring out balance. Uh, <laughs> like I uh, whenever I do something, like I just go like a hundred and fifty percent into it um, when I first start. And then I break and I'm just like, okay, this is too much. You know, <laughs> I did the same thing with playing gigs this year. Like for the first time I, I played a ton of gigs, kind of found my limit of like how far I can travel or how many gigs I can do in a row. Because at one point I, I did a gig in Savannah, Georgia and uh, drove all the way the next day from Savannah to Leapers Fork and uh, played a show. <laughs> a 12 hour drive. It was, yeah. I had to get up at like, three or four in the morning, drive all the way there, played the show, and then drove back to Paducah after the show. And that's a, another two and a half, three hour drive from Lieber's Fork. Right. And uh, and I was like about to fall asleep several times and was like, okay, I'm never doing that again. It's like, I know now. Like, that's stupid. Like, that's too far. Uh, and so uh, same thing with, uh, with how many shows I felt like I could do in a row. And so I did seven shows in six days. Um, mm. And I was like, oh, I'll be all right. And, uh, you know, I was just knocking them out. And the first three or four felt pretty good. And then the last three or four, not so much. You know, I was just like, uh, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. And yeah. <laughs> to get a little wore down, you know. Yeah. Uh, and especially having to drive between each one, too. And so... Uh, I, Are you a smoker? Uh, no, I'm not. Like, Okay. Uh, yeah i i definitely would have been wrecked i mean yeah that would have been able to do it um like i'm i'm not a smoker but i I would compensate for that by being kind of fat uh and so (laughs) i'm just like you know i I can't breathe very well one way or the other it's like (laughs) i've got to eat cake um (laughs) um but I, i i was like just dying by the end i almost i almost lost my voice like completely Mm while and i was just like i can't do that anymore you know because yeah if i lose my voice for a week or two like then that's a that's a lot of shows that i'm not able to do and so it just wasn't worth it but i found out you know like kind of most i want to travel and do a show is going to be like six hours and you know the the most shows i want to do in a row are probably going to be four in a row at the most you know um and Mm -hmm. Even with that, I kind of want to break in the middle or something. Uh, you know, that just kind of figuring out, like, what are my limits? The unfortunate uh, fact of trying to figure out what your limits are is a lot of times you got to hit your limit and, uh, like, hit failure uh, in order to yeah. figure that out. I've done a lot of that this year, just trying to figure all that out and uh, figuring out how long I can be gone at a time and uh, and then not have, you know, my, my wife be mad that I've been gone too long uh, and all that kind of stuff, too. And so um, yeah. it's been a lot, been a lot to figure out. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of like back to that, like I I know very, very little, but I know how much I don't know, at least. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm uh, I'm starting to figure out. Oh, there's a there's even more to that. Like it, yeah. <laughs> it goes, goes farther than my fingers can stretch. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to realize more and more too is uh, is that having a good team and having good people to to help you, like it is absolutely a must. Um, yeah. Because I you know I, when I was booking my own shows. Man, that was a pain. It was like I I'd send out you know a hundred emails or more and hope to get one back. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. 
Uh, it was just terrible. And uh, so I've got a, a great booking agent now from uh, K&L Promotions, and uh, she is fantastic. Like, she has been a, a godsend. And uh, it really helped me realize, like, man, if, if, I've got a, if I've got a good team, people who know what they're doing and are, are really driven and driving towards the same thing as me, um, then it is so much easier and it's so worth the the time and the money spent for someone else to do it. It, it, it comes back to you tenfold. I mean, I would have been lucky to book, you know, one or two gigs a month. And um, this year I have played um, like 115 gigs or a hundred uh, something like that, like right, right north of a hundred gigs. Yeah. And, uh, there's no way I would have been able to book that um, by myself. And uh, she has been, just rocking and rolling, getting, you know, he, she booked like five gigs at a time. I, I'll get an email. She's like, do you want to play here these five, six dates? And I'm like, yep, sounds good. <laughs> uh, sounds wow. Like- so that's cool. Yeah. And so when you're, um, when you're going out and doing these shows, you're predominantly playing solo, right? Like, yeah. or you, do you have anybody in Paducah or Nashville that you're pulling from that get to come out to any of these shows and play with you? Not right now. I've I've really wanted to do that, but just uh, logistically, it's so much easier doing it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's something I've thought about, and that's something I would definitely uh, want to do in the future. But um, my strategy has been kind of going out and doing these solo gigs and getting you know getting a little more of my name out there and getting getting to where people know me in different areas. And then once I have a little more notoriety in a, a particular area, then I can bring out, you know, like a trio or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and it will make it to where I can make enough money to pay them and, and make it worth their time. Cause um, I don't want anybody uh, traveling with me uh, and uh, working for peanuts, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> uh, like I, I mean, uh, I want to make sure that they've, they've got a room to stay in and they're making money and bringing money home. And, uh, and uh, also that I'm not losing, uh, <laughs> losing my ass on it too. Right. Uh, so trying um, to support the other two people that you've exactly. out to. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I mean, if, if I, if I'm going to have to choose that, I'm probably going to give them all the money if, uh, if that's the case, because like, I mean, I'm. I I feel like that's that would be what would be right. You know, I just feel like uh, if if you're bringing somebody else with you, then it's your responsibility to make sure they're taken care of. And if I yeah. don't feel like I can do it, I just don't feel like it's a responsible thing to do to to try to bring somebody with me. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's definitely the goal. Once I once I get, you know, once I get to where I'm I'm set up uh, in different cities and doing more like theater shows or stuff like that rather than doing, you know, breweries and bars and restaurants, uh, then I would love to have some people come with me. I've got uh, people in Paducah and people in Nashville who I'd love to bring along. Um, a lot of great, yeah. musicians. Uh, there's a ton of great musicians in Paducah and, uh, awesome. um, I, I'm always amazed at like how many great musicians there are here, um, who don't really get as much notoriety as I feel like they should. Okay. It's, um, so I would probably try to bring a lot of Paducah folks with me, um, just because of that hometown love. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that that's great. When when you did your, it was an EP in 2019, right? That Appalachian Cry is on. Uh-huh. Um, how did you get hooked up with those musicians? Like in that most, those studio were work? Yeah, they were yeah. most Paducah guys. Yeah. Okay, uh, because uh, like the fiddle on it. Yeah. Like it sways. Yeah. In a certain way that like you don't 
hear that here in Nashville. And like, I think having roots in Kentucky and then like kind of feeling um, things out as I've listened to your music, I'm like, okay, like I'm wondering where these people are from who are playing with them because like, especially the fiddle, you know, like it really just... Yeah, that was a guy named Josh Coffey here in Purdue. And uh, he's... Wonderful job. Um, yeah, he is. He is awesome. He plays, you know, he plays guitar, mandolin, fiddle. Uh, he plays everything. He's got a studio here too. And so, oh, cool. Um, I recorded a lot of it down in Hermitage uh, with um, a Ren, uh, uh, a uh, Soundcatcher Studio. It's uh, a Ren Creative, and okay. the guy's name is Ren Renfrey, who is awesome. Really, really good dude. Okay. And, uh, and then Josh Coffey, he uh, he's got a place up here in Kentucky called uh, Time on the String. And he is absolutely incredible. Him and uh, another guy, Jake Senior, um, he played upright bass on that. And mm-hmm. they, they uh, work in the studio together, and they're just phenomenal musicians. Both of them play with the symphony, and they both are um, touring musicians whenever there's touring to be had. Wow. Uh, and uh, they're they're just really cool dudes, too, you know. And so, um, But Josh, I think he started playing when he was, like, six or seven, like, started playing fiddle or something. Like, he was... He was like a prodigy, you know. He was like one of those kind of guys. Yeah, plays everything incredibly well, um, and uh, plays every style that you could imagine. You know, whatever you need him to do, he can do it. And uh, and so I, he's probably one of my favorite musicians in town. Um, just you know, just getting to watch him play and see him do what he does. How'd uh, you guys meet? Well, I used to work at a music shop down here. Um, still do actually occasionally. I'm. Uh, supposedly <laughs> I'm supposed to be like the manager there, but uh, I'm not there enough to really feel like it's fair to call me a manager. Um, Cause I'm okay. there uh, two days every three or four weeks. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he used to come in there and then just uh, going and seeing bands around town. I would go and see his band every time, every time nice. I, uh, he was in uh, several bands, but uh, the one I remember the most that he's still currently in is uh, wheelhouse rousers. And uh, it's uh, him, a guy named Nathan Lynn, who's a great guitar player, storyteller. Um, and then his dad actually plays upright, at, uh, Eddie Coffey. Um, and uh, like he's been he's been playing with his dad like his entire life. And so so it was it's just really cool getting to getting to see him play. And uh, that was kind of how I got introduced to him was uh, through the music shop and, and then going and watching him play shows. Yeah. And when you guys write together, is it predominantly you bringing kind of a structure and then they're adding to it? Or do you guys collaborate at all? You know, it's funny, actually. I, I've never really thought about it, but uh, I don't think I've ever written with any of them. I, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, um, you know, Appalachian Cry, I, I wrote that on my own. Uh, and then uh, whenever I took it to the studio, I had the guitar part and I just asked him if he could match the guitar part on fiddle. And he was like, yeah, something like this, dude. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, and, you know, like it, it only took me like, you know, a couple months to figure out how to play that. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's, you can just listen to it and just play it. Like I'm, I'm impressed, but I'm also kind of pissed off about it. Uh, he, uh, but he's, he's just one of those guys. He can just listen to something and know it. Like, and, uh, and I was in the studio uh, with him for the um, Civil War letter song too. Mm, yeah that pick up at the beginning where um he uh he comes in by himself and then everything kind of matches him and he was doing a he did a bunch of different you know bunch of different lines on it and i was like can you kind of do a pickup on that to where you come in beforehand and you know it's just something like and he was like 
yeah, sure. And he was like, go ahead uh, and hit record. I was like, you, you don't need to like practice it or anything. He's like, no, nah, just give me the count in. I'll, I'll be fine. It's like one, two, do, 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 do. And he just immediately uh, oh, like, wow. it. and he was like, how did that sound? I was like, that sounded pretty good. He was like, it should. It was exactly what the fuck he said. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was just crying. I was like, well, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine you pissed off, like because you're like one of the nicer people that I've I've met here in Nashville. <laughs> so I just envision that you're just like you said, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then internally, getting to know you through this interview, like I, <laughs> I could just see you hours later breaking it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm super meticulous when it comes to recording, like and but it's it's funny, like I I want. I want all the parts to to be good, but you know, I always trust like if I'm if I'm getting somebody like Josh Coffey, like he is he's brilliant. Like he can just mm. he'll he'll write in his mind like a three part string part and be able to just pick it out right there on the spot. Like he's just so freaking good. Um so the the one that I'm probably the most meticulous with is myself, like whenever I'm listening. Because sure. uh when I was recording that album. Uh, I was talking to the the producer on that, Ren, and and he was like, "Now you may hate me by the time this is all done because I'm very meticulous when it comes to vocals and and when it comes to you know making sure everything melds really well." And I was like, "Oh, don't worry, man. Like I promise. Like I if if you don't think it sounds good, then I don't want it on the album." And so I was like, "I'm I'm probably going to be as meticulous." And he was like, "Well, we'll see." Yeah. And, and so when we were recording vocals, like there were so many times we we would record it and do it in like one full pass, and then we would listen back through and then punch in on on each part. And uh, there were so many times that he'd be like, "I think that sounds great," and I was like, "Nah, I I pronounced a word weird on this part," and uh, I was like. I didn't like the way I sang this line because I think that the tone was too shrill. I think I can do it to where it's a little more full. Uh, and and he'd be like, okay, yeah, if you don't feel good. About it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I, afterwards, I was like, uh, so Ren, you can be honest with me. I was like, who, who do you think is more meticulous when it comes to vocals, me or you? And he was like, you might actually be a little more meticulous than I would have been. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but I mean, I'm just, when it comes to like the stuff that, that I'm doing and I know, I know like what I'm capable of and what I, I can produce, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I'm, I'm way more meticulous when it comes to that, you know? And, uh, yeah. but, uh, hopefully I'm not a, a monster to work with, with other people, you know, like I try <laughs> to, I try, like if I couldn't, like, I can't play fiddle, I can't play steel, I can't play upright. Like, and so Unless it's just straight up bad, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be like, I think that sounds great, you know, yeah. because like, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Like, I, right. like yeah. if, uh, if somebody plays Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on a fiddle, I'm like, man, that sounds so good because yeah. like, I have no I can't idea how to do that. Uh, <laughs> well, on a day that you have to do vocals, uh-huh. what does that day before the session look like for you? Like, are you doing the vocals usually in morning, midday? Uh, I think we did them kind of, kind of morning all the way through, you know, we did them, I think we did all that in, in a day or two, um, as far as those five songs. And so, and do you it, like being quiet or do you need energy going on beforehand or I don't really have a, a method, honestly, like I yeah. just, kind of, I go in and I know what I want to do and I just try to do it. And, uh, um, you know, I'd try to try to make sure I'm I'm plenty hydrated and stuff like that. But 
it's more of like going through and just getting reps in during the day. And, and then like, I feel like after I go through and do it a few times, like sometimes I, I have to remember, like you get, you get so, you get so like particular static, like, you know, I have to hit these notes and sing these words, mm-hmm. you know, that you kind of sometimes forget the the heart of the song. And that's probably the thing I struggled with the most on that is, is remembering like, you know, uh, it's not just, you know, what I'm saying and the notes I'm hitting, it's how I'm singing it. It's, it's the emotion behind it. And, um, that's probably the thing that I like after, after being in there and going through and you sing the same song, you know, five or six times, you, you're like, this is a song that's about something like what's it about? (laughs) You know, what's like, if I, like I see memories or, uh, the one for me that that was definitely the one that I had to think like this is this has got some some serious content on and I'm just singing it so like these are the notes these are the words was a uh, 14 going on 40 that is it's such a such a heart wrenching song and it's got this story of this little boy losing his dad you know and so I had to sit there and just think like why am I singing this like you know it's just any other song like I need to need to put the emotion back into it and I mm-hmm. need to take a moment and forget about, you know, the notes and forget about the words, like think about the emotion behind it for a minute and, and just get back to that place of delivering that emotion. Because I, I try to, I try to sing everything technically well, but the main thing that I want to do is I want people to believe me whenever I'm singing something. I want them yeah. to believe like, this is, this isn't just, some made up story like this is real like this is something that i can feel and i think that you can sing something technically well but people are like oh well that sounded good but you know it just felt like they were singing a song you know it's it's mm-hmm. not karaoke it's it's just an, an ex- it should be an experience and so i think that that that's something that i had to focus on while i was doing it but as far as like kind of a leading up to it and the day before and all that uh, I wish I could tell you that I I do like uh, vocal exercises and uh, and all that, uh, but I'm I'm really not. I I just don't I don't really do any of that. I just uh, try to try to get in there and, and do my do my songs best yeah. I can. <laughs> I tend to I tend to like go through like a quiet phase where I'm like I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to be influenced by anything. And I and I'm thank you for elaborating. First of all, but like I'm kind of like wondering if maybe also I'm psyching myself out by being too quiet, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then the first thing I hear when I do a vocal take at home or or if I've done it out somewhere else is like, oh, I'm hearing my voice, which no one, s- some people struggle with hearing their own voice, you know, even right. on a podcast or whatever. Yeah. And usually when I work a session with another artist or even work on my personal stuff, it's like I just find myself going through a quiet phase. Of like, I just want to turn off. That way, when I, I think the goal is when I f- do hear the song for the first time today, or we get in the room and like that chord is, is strummed for the first time, it feels fresh and it feels like, oh, that's like reinvigorating kind of a, right. a feeling. And I've noticed with my my writing, for me, so drummer first, guitar, bass, piano, whatever, second, mm-hmm. and. I've I've also have always written songs, but to like get to the point of like 
lyrically putting something out of my body that matches like the feeling that I'm putting on the guitar is it's work. <laughs> right. And when it when it does happen, it, for me it's like it's very magical and it feels like oh, like I'm tapping into a moment um that I'm recalling or memory, you know, that that it's almost as if I've walked right back into that room. And then I'll write the song out, flesh it out, like make sure I've got the structure in place and I'll play it a million times. And then getting back into the studio, it's like trying to walk back into that room. Kind of like what you're saying with the kid. It's like, you know, you're still trying to put yourself back into that person's shoes or in your own shoes again. It just feels like there's kind of a kind of a, a period where between the initial writing and then putting it down to record, like it just I struggle with losing that that emotion. Yeah, that emotion or or like I don't know, like maybe maybe like the vision. Yeah. Of what, what... Well, I I feel like that with writing because that my my like whole my whole approach when it comes to to writing is I I try to like put it all on the page as quick as I can first thing, mm-hmm. you know, like um because uh, I always tell people like that for me at least, and it, it may be different for everybody, but um, I think the hardest thing to duplicate is that initial inspiration and that initial like emotion that you feel when an idea hits or whenever you see something that that impacts you. You know, like try it's it's like how do you duplicate first love? You know, you can't like you can't duplicate something like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's that initial inspiration and it's this one fleeting moment. And so um, I usually will like try to just put down something, even if half of it is nonsense, you know, I'll just put an entire song down, you know, the whole structure and try to capture as much of that emotion as I can through that first one. Um, And then I'll go through and I'll, I'll tweak lines and I'll uh, give it more of like a, an actual uh, progression through. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that that allows me to go in after and see which of these lines can be beaten, you know, which ones can be be strengthened, which ones can be uh, a better metaphor, or a stronger visual, or something like that. And so, um, so instead of like agonizing over over one line and then losing that feeling because you come back to it four or five days later and you're yeah. like, was it that I was trying to capture in this? You know, it's like. Uh, you you instead are going back and instead of having to duplicate that initial inspiration, all you're doing is refining it. You know, you're, yeah. just, you're able to go in, you already have captured that initial inspiration. Now you just make it to where it's accessible and it makes sense, you know, and it, it uh, it's still there. Um, but you're you're making it to where it's not just something that you would understand, but something that anybody could understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, uh, I've I've had more luck with that than anything um, when it comes to writing. But I could definitely see where you could feel that inside of a song too after it's done, because people always ask me like, "What's your favorite song to play? Like, what what's your like? If you had one song, like, what would be your favorite song?" And I'm I'm always like, you know. Probably whichever one I wrote the latest, like that's that's usually the one that has the freshest inspiration and that fresh like feeling, you know, and so you lose that with songs because you you write about your life and you write about where you're at in a moment. And, you know, after 
uh, five years or even a year or even a few months, you're not there anymore. And that song has less of an impact to where you're at than it used to, you know? And mm-hmm. so that that's like that song out from, from the beginning, whenever we were talking about that song, nothing, you know, like, yeah. um, it's hard for me sometimes to wrap my head around songs that impact other people that I wrote that no longer impact me the same way, because like, that's a song that, I was in a place where I just was depressed and didn't have a reason why. And I feel like I've, I've gotten through that point in my life to where, you know, I'm, I'm in a better place and I don't feel that way anymore. I'm, I'm happy. I have a, a happy family and I, I've got a, a job that I love and I'm, I'm doing things that I really enjoy. And so that song just doesn't, doesn't hit me the same way, but I know that, there's still an emotion in there because I wrote an emotion into it whenever I I first, you know, had that inspiration. And so it's, it is like you have to, in a way you have to remember and get yourself back in that mind space when you're performing it um, in order to make sure that that performance has that same emotional impact. So I, I could, I can definitely understand that. It's a, uh, that's, that's how I feel writing wise more so than performance wise. Um, but I could see how that would translate over to the performance side too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just for someone who, who gets up on a, on a stage, like it's, it's, it can be, let me, let me rephrase that for someone who walks into a venue, whether that be a bar or, you know, a Bridgestone arena size place, like to just assume like, Oh, this is easy for that person. They just get up and they just do the song. It's fun. Like just right. do it, you know, like, but to really convey emotions and connect with the person who's, in the nosebleeds or their back is against the wall of the venue like that, that's special. And, and I can speak to that um, because, you know, running sound for the old line and, and whenever I was running sound for you, my back's against the wall. I'm the guy in the back of the room. And it's like, yeah, like I'm making sure the EQ and the compression and the levels are good and blah, 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 blah. But also as a musician and an artist, like it was really fun. Those few, well, I wouldn't say few. I had a lot of moments where I got to run across some great artists on that stage for the amount of time that I was working there. And you were one of them. And it was just like, there, there's a handful of things that like, I still vividly remember. I don't know if I, if I recorded any of it on my phone or not. I'd have to go back and look. But like, I still remember connecting with some of the emotion that you were portraying in songs that I'd never heard for the first time. And I think that's why... I've kept tried to keep in touch or you know follow what you're doing over the last few years because it's like man like I deeply appreciated that it didn't seem like you're getting up there just to do the same old same old right and even if you didn't feel like that was the greatest show that you ever performed or like if you recall like oh I was in a rut that night or oh I was just somewhere else or I wasn't really myself I think that if you're intentional enough trying to connect with people, it still comes out even when you're not trying. And so yeah. for, whether you're trying or not, it it came across that night. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and that's, uh, it's funny. Like, uh, I mean, there was, there were songs I played that night that I had never heard before. Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, it's, it's funny how that, that happens when you, you just, you, you're listening to somebody and you just connect. And, uh, and that's a, that's a good feeling. I appreciate that for sure. Um, appreciate you saying yeah. that. And so, um, that's, uh, that's something that, 
I feel like I have I've I've tried to work on, and it has been because uh, um, I I've not always been really good at at uh, presenting that, and that's something that I've I've really really worked on over the past um, couple of years, and it feels good to know that that it's working. So yeah, man, it is. It's great. I, I did want to ask, like you mentioned when you first started writing music, that you know it was related to church things. Like, are you still active in that part of your life, or what does that look like for you now? And, and if you don't want to answer that, you don't have to answer yeah, as well. No, you're you're all good. I um, you know, I'm I'm still a Christian, and I still uh, you know, believe what I what I believed before. Um, I'm not really like involved in, you know, leading worship and playing in church. Um, like I used to be, I still, still have a lot of friends who, um, are in those same churches that I, I used to play at. And, uh, there was a time whenever I just, um, I led worship at almost every church in town here <laughs> uh, and, uh, just would hop around and just help them out if they needed it. But it's, it's not something that I've done in a long time as far as leading worship. Um, but, it's still, still definitely a, a big part of my life, and uh, still something that, like, I uh, I find I find more more hope and more meaning in that than almost anything else is just mm. uh, is finding out you know what what God's plan for me is, and I I, I mean I truly believe that that music is God's plan for me. I think that he he put me here to to write songs, and he put me here to. To observe the world and, and be able to present that to people to be able to find find some meaning inside of it all, um, and so I hope that's what my music does. Is uh, you know, I, it may not be may not be Christian songs and it may not be you know worship songs, but sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I I want songs that uh, present the world to people and present a little bit of hope and a little bit of love and and leave people walking away feeling better about who they are, where the world, mm-hmm. where they are in conjunction to the world. And, and so that's, that's always been, you know, that's always been my biggest goal. I was talking to somebody one time and talking about, you know, like what's, what's the big goal for, for the music stuff. And I, I said, you know, like I want, I want to write songs that could save somebody's life. Mm. I write songs like the songs that you hear about where people are on the verge of just, saying I'm done and giving up and there's a song that comes on the radio or a song that that pops up or someone sends them that just breaks them and it gives them hope and it it allows them to realize like that there's there's something worth living for um and I think that for me that is is more uh that's more rewarding than any sort of award or any sort of accolades, you know, like I don't care if a million people listen to a song, if, you know, one person listens to it and, and it's the song that saves their life, you know, like that's, that's what I feel like is the biggest impact you can make on the world is, is not how many people you touch. It's how deeply you touch one person. I think sometimes, and I, I still have a lot of that inside of, inside of my music. And I still have a lot of that inside of, um, just the way I, I feel like I talk to people too is, is I I want to love people and I want to give people hope and uh, um, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of themes from um, from that um, inside like I see memories where the dad pulls out a Bible 
And he tells his son, like, this is the most important book you'll ever read, you know, and every time I thought that I was holding it, it was holding me. That mm-hmm. that line just I, is probably one of my favorite lines in any song. And I didn't even write that line. That was that was my co-writer, who, uh, <laughs> Beth Taylor, who uh, she um, she said, I don't know if uh, if we can work this in, but like maybe doing something like every time I thought that I was holding it, it was holding me, um, you know, some way of like some version of that. And I was like, no, that's it. Like, that's perfect. That's, perfect. <laughs> but that's, that's the line that we should do. Yeah. I knew that I, I wanted to put hope in every song and I wanted to, to put something that would inspire people in every song because of what my dad told me. And, uh, and I think that hmm. that, that comes from, from my dad and it comes from just, uh, my, my time of going to, going to all these churches and, and realizing who God was for me and uh, realizing, you know, what, what I really believe like a true, like a true Christian walk should be is, is about loving people. And so I think that that's, that's really where, where my faith is, is, is uh, just being, being love to the people and trying to inspire hope and love and others. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I grew up in the church as well. And when you mentioned Stephen Curtis Chapman, it's like that rings true. I still think that his song, The Great Adventure is like one of the most kick-ass songs ever. Yeah. Like I have it on a playlist that's it. It's like my hell yeah Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how SEC would feel about that, but it's, it, yeah, it, it, you know, um, you have that moment where you're just like fist pumping in the, in the <laughs> like yeah. array kind of day. Um, yeah, that that's one of my go-to songs. Have you listened to? Hang on a second. That sun is beaming now. It was rainy this morning. <laughs> um, I'm just like, I'm out to get you. <laughs> um, I, I, I get that. I'm solarly oppressed. Uh, <laughs> have Have you dug much into John Foreman's music? Yeah, or, I was gonna say um, that uh, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman's sons—they play in a band called Colony House. Yeah, opened for Switchfoot. Uh, yeah, at Ryan, and uh, so I was there. Yeah, okay, <laughs> dude. Uh, Will Franklin's drumming, uh-huh. I think, is like the loudest drumming that has ever <laughs> happened at the Ryman. Like that. That. His, like, I don't. Show. Yeah, dude. That I was, don't. We were there too. So like, they were I, miking it. Like I'd be. Like I would be not surprised. Like he was hitting the drums so loud. I was right. like, this is awesome. As so a drummer, funny. I loved it. We we saw Stephen Curtis the day before in Paducah and then drove down and saw Colony House and uh um Switchfoot at the Ryman. And uh, uh Tyson, uh the dude who opened for for them, the Yeah, Ty- Tyson. Oh, what was his name? Uh, something, Mick, something maybe. And Mike Mockenbach or something like it was yeah. like one of these weird. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he was hilarious too. I was, I was sitting there like when I went when I go to shows like that, I just like am halfway studying while I'm uh, trying to have a good time listening to and uh, like his whole demeanor on stage cracked me up. Like he was just cutting jokes and he was talking about like, you know, uh, I was a, whenever he said the thing about being a, um, a leader at a youth camp or something. Like, <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, it's like, I guess you were too. You know, I got, uh, <laughs> Wait, you were that guy. No, I didn't, I didn't okay. scream, but yeah. I was like, I was like, I like that. I'm going to use that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. it was, 
funny. Yeah, he was he was great too. But yeah, I I love uh, I love Colony House. I love Switchfoot. That's probably my wife's favorite band is Switchfoot. And oh, cool. uh, Norman's solo stuff where he's he's more like just telling stories and oh, man. more acoustic kind of feel that he's got. I love that kind of stuff. And uh, um, I haven't listened to to any of his newer stuff in a long time, but I, I probably I haven't either. Yeah, when you were describing the antibodies and people loving each other and coming around each other, I was like, "Whoa, this is like this reminds me of John Foreman," and you know, very picturesque in the way that you described it. I was like, "Ooh, like he's he's tapping into some imagery here." Going back to what you said about a song that will save your life, um, I wasn't even thinking about this, so this is very funny because when you when you're talking about that, I was like, "Man, what is that song for me?" and it, it's very true. Like I still remember where I was standing a few years ago when I felt like everything in my life just kind of came crashing down all at once. And, and then it's like I was holding it together for so long. And then this moment happened of where finally I just broke. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I can still see myself in that room standing there. And the song Dare You to Move from Switchfoot came to mind. And literally, like, I physically took a step forward from where I was standing. It was like something inside of me said, like, you need to, to get out of this feeling, this funk, this breaking apart thing to, to save yourself. You need to physically stay to step forward to kind of tell your mind that like you are working on getting out of this. And it was a few, maybe not even not that long, two, three months after that, that they played that show. And I know it's one of their kind of popular songs. And I thought like, okay, it'll be there. And like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it'll, it'll hit me. Maybe it won't, but I, I'll never forget that they intertwined it. Like they they were ending a song and they were kind of getting like the twinkle jams and and kind of yeah. shoegazy, and yeah. then they started playing that song and I'll never forget how like the hair stood up on my neck and then I just lost it and yeah. was standing on the the front row of the balcony of of uh, the Ryman looking down, um, you know on I don't I guess I'd be on stage left so like that's that's where. I was sitting and yeah, like having that memory, that recent memory of like, holy shit, this is why people connect with this song because literally like it, it saves people's lives. And I I can speak to that as well of, of feeling like everything is broken or crashing down and then yet needing some kind of inspiration just to move forward and hearing somebody in your head just being like, Hey, I, I dare you. I dare you to move. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's one of those good challenges, like those challenges that are for you. So, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man, those are those are the ones that I I long to write the most. Um, you know, I think I think uh, all of us should strive to to write things that save people, um, and I think that that's uh, that's something that as a I almost feel like it's a responsibility of a writer um, whenever you have an opportunity to present something and be able to influence a listener. Like, I feel like it's almost a responsibility of, like, you you have to 
uh, reach that person in a way that is not going to leave them more depressed or more angry or more uh, jaded or more broken. You know, like your responsibility is to bring them out of that. You know, you um, you connect with them in their despair and then you pull them out. You know, you you tell them that I, I feel the same way or I have felt the same way or, um, you know, this character that I'm, I'm portraying has felt the same way. Mm. But like, here's the hope, you know, is that I'm still here and I'm still able to, to do, you know, I'm, I've survived it and I, I, I love and I still have the ability to, to love others and, and pull others out of this. And so um, if I can do it, then anybody can. And, and I think that that to me, that is the, the responsibility of a, of a writer whenever someone's inviting you into their house or inviting you into their heart and their mind. Like you, you should try to leave it better than uh, than it was when you came, um, and so that's uh, that definitely. I feel like Switchfoot is great at that. They have so yeah. many yeah. like that that uh, give you hope, and uh, you know they're they're not the not the type of band that's leaving anybody in despair. I feel like they're uh, they're a band that's that's definitely giving people hope and giving people love and uh, pulling them out of despair um, and. Uh, even in the way that they they talk and the way that they present themselves, you know, they're they're filled with love and and constantly trying to to give other people an opportunity to find some freedom. And so that's a that's a good model to yeah <laughs> able to kind of look at and and try to pull from. Yeah, for sure, that's amazing. And I don't know, man. Like I I come into these interviews not knowing what I'm going to learn about someone. And I'm just really grateful for all that you've shared with me today. And it it all lines up. All the memories, the interaction that I had with you, the watching you on stage, like it it all lines up. And I just really appreciate you know your attitude with taking care of the writing process. So that way, it caters to the, the listener in a way that's going to, to help. Yeah. You know, and, and I just... I greatly appreciate that. And appreciate you taking the time to, to hang out with me and, and talk music. And I hope like if you're ever in Nashville, man, feel free to hit me up. We, yeah. um, I, I would love to hang out again and, you know, talk not so serious or serious, whatever, like music, whatever to hang out and talk about. I'm trying to remember Martin or Taylor guitar. Uh, I've got a little Taylor GS mini. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Taylor's have been coming up in my life a lot recently. So I think, I think, Universe is trying to tell me to get a Taylor. Uh, I've always, yeah, yeah. What what kind of Taylor are you looking at getting? I don't know. I I know that one of my Nashville buddies, he has an endorsement with Taylor, and he went into their shop and was given like full range to pick, you know, a guitar within a certain amount of budget, I guess. And he went with a like one that wasn't as expensive because it just sounded better to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no idea. I just thought I would go pick around one day once uh, once I have the money to do so. Because I have I have an acoustic. It's an old uh, Ventura. And the action is like a mile off of the 12th fret. <laughs> yeah. And like once you get up towards the 10th, you know, or around the... the doing... Get up to like the... Five seven, like the ninth, tenth area. I mean, it's like it's getting getting rough. <laughs> yeah, like you can probably even see. Oh yeah, that is high. <laughs> yeah, 
I need somebody to either work on work on this or it's time to just get a different sound in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so um cool. What's on the horizon for 2022? So I've I've got um I've got about 40 shows booked for 2022 so far and uh I'm going to try to book about 115 to 117, something like that, um, and uh, play play a bunch of shows. Um, I'm hoping to release some more music and record some more for this next year. I've got some stuff recorded that getting mixed and uh, getting uh, mastered right now, and uh, I'm I'm still not sure what I'm going to do with it yet. If I'm going to release it or if I'm going to uh, demo it. Mm-hmm. Mostly just uh, this next year, I'm I'm planning on trying to get out, play more, um, and uh, um, try to get some more music out there. That's the the big two, you know. Love it. Um, but that's a uh, that no no real no real uh, hard plans aside from that, you know. I've oh got, yeah, no hard plans. Just you know, 117 shows and right. without new music. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, just, so casual. Yeah. yeah just uh, um, just trying to trying to get out there as much as I can. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of figured out that's kind of my max. Like that's uh, the most I can I can do, and uh, still be home a reasonable amount of time too. So that's that's the plan. That's that's what I'm gonna shoot for. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Thank you for for sharing all that. I hope you know you have a happy new year and um you know hope 2022 is is that much better for you and thanks man yeah man great <laughs> talking to you too i had a had a good time getting to hang out a little bit and uh just kind of trade trade songwriting notes and performing notes and all that so yeah absolutely well let's not be strangers excited if you had time to come on like it's been good yeah. to hang out and chat for longer than a few minutes inside a bar. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, man, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to, uh, got to talk to you a little bit today. And so I, I think my, my next plan is I'm going to get more coffee and, uh, <laughs> I, I might go to work today. I'm not sure. Um, okay. <laughs> so I I'm, if they're good, then I might just stay home, but, uh, <laughs> awesome. What's the name of the shop? It's called Allen music. Um, Alan music. Yeah, it's a little family-owned uh, music shop down here. That uh, it's been here for fifty or sixty years, um, and uh, started as a sewing uh, sewing machine shop. And uh, then uh, a couple generations in, uh, Boyce Allen, um, the current owner's father, he uh, he started bringing a few uh, guitars in. Hmm. Uh, and uh, then it slowly transitioned from sewing machines to strictly music. And it was funny, though, like when I worked there, I worked there during high school about 10 years ago. Oh, nice. And, uh, um, there would still be people who would come in with sewing machines being like, hey, can you all fix this still? And he'd still take them in and still fix them. Uh, and uh, so it, it's uh, it's just been a, a very long running uh, establishment that has just served the community in some way, shape or form. And so. Um, and they've they've grown a lot in the the past 30 40 years so uh they've uh they've got quite a few more guitars on the wall than they used to and not awesome sewing machines so <laughs> that's great i'll have to check it out whenever i'm driving past or through paducah again yeah, absolutely. 24 to go to st louis <laughs> if you're ever coming through then holler at me too if i'm in town then i'll i'll show you the the good coffee spots and stuff too Ooh, <laughs> good that sounds great spot. 
good spot that makes great pour over coffees and uh they always have some like real bougie beans from like tanzania and ethiopia and all this stuff so now you're speaking my love language <laughs> yeah there you go well i'll let you get on with your day i hope everything's going well at the shop and man it's just it was so good thank you yeah. so much good talk to you man well i will i'll write you later you have a good one man all right thanks you too There we have it. That was my conversation with Daniel Niehoff. Man, what a guy. What a guy. What a good guy. Really glad we got to talk and that you guys got to know more about Daniel. Again, go check out his EP called Appalachian Cry. Let's find that on Spotify and all the other platforms. As for me, I hope I'm back next week. If not, I'll see you in a couple weeks, two, three weeks out. Just stay tuned and I'll do my best to uh, keep you in the loop. Take care of yourself. Be nice to yourself. I think that's it. All right. There it is. (laughs) Bye.